Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up tonight, gas prices are on the rise again. What's behind it and where is it going next? A farm group calling to investigate record high egg prices, saying price gouging could be to blame. California lawmakers proposing a new bill to tax the rich even after they've left the state. They say it's to reduce income inequality. And concerns about TikTok's data security grow as Senator Josh Hawley introduces a bill to ban the app nationwide. What could happen to the TikTok? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Prices at the pump are inching up once again as demand for gas rises. According to AAA, the national average price of gas is $3.48 a gallon. This is a 12-cent increase since last week. That's 38 cents higher than a month ago and 15 cents more than a year ago. The highest prices were in Hawaii, $4.94 a gallon, followed by California at $4.49 a gallon. A AAA spokesperson said oil hitting $80 a barrel has put a lot of upward pressure on the gas prices. And milder weather could also have something to do with it, with more Americans getting out and about after severe winter weather over the holidays and into the new year. And now joining me is Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan. So Patrick, you know, we're seeing gas prices on an upward trend for a month now. I want to ask you, what do you think are the factors that played into that? Well, certainly uh, uh, quite a laundry list of factors going on right now. A lot of this stems back from the Arctic blast that hit much of the United States in late December. That had a profound impact on refinery operations. Some of those uh, refinery operations were disrupted by extremely cold weather through much of the country. Uh, shortly thereafter, China announced it was reopening its economy, and along with it, They've increased oil import quotas, which has pushed demand up globally. In addition, further sanctions on Russia by the EU are concerning the market that there may be tightness in supply, as well as an end to the SPR releases in the U.S. All of that pushing up oil. The wholesale price of gasoline is a result of oil going up and those refinery disruptions now pushing wholesale prices up 70 cents a gallon from a month ago, and that's playing out in rising retail prices. So I'm glad you mentioned uh oil because I've seen oil prices, you know, ease a bit uh, and gasoline prices generally have followed oil prices. So I want to ask, where do you see gas prices going, let's say, in the next few weeks? Well, certainly given some of the upward pressure really is contingent on where oil goes. Now, oil prices have come off their highs uh, earlier this week. They're at about $80 a barrel, still about $8 higher than where they were a month or so ago. A lot of this is going to be contingent not only on the price of oil as China reopens, we could see an increase in demand, but more so on turning that oil into things like gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. And that ties back to those refineries. Now, utilization has picked up at U.S. refineries. It was at 92% in December. It fell all the way to 79% after the cold spell. We are now back at 86%, but we still need to see an uptick in refinery utilization uh, to see gas prices moderate. Yeah, and you said on Twitter, uh, you know, you can have all the oil in the world, but if there aren't enough refineries, gasoline prices could still be very high, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Highlighting the the uh, relationship between oil and gasoline, it's not always direct. You certainly could have oil be very cheap and gasoline very expensive, 
if the bottleneck is refineries. And that's what we've seen from time and time again. We've been through a pandemic which saw 5% of refining capacity go offline permanently uh, and challenges uh, with boosting production overseas. Some refinery expansions have been delayed, but there will be some improvement. Much of that is going to be overseas in Asia and Africa and the Middle East. But there is a U.S. refinery expansion coming online in the months ahead. But still, uh, we are at a deficit to the amount of capacity we had just in 2019. All right. Thank you very much for your insight, Gas Buddy Patrick DeHaan. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Home prices across the country continue to drop as interest rates continue to rise. Goldman Sachs says the declines will continue through 2023, and four cities have the possibility of a home price crash. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. Good and bad news predicted for home prices. The good news, the worst is over for the U.S. housing market, and prices will stop declining within six months, according to Goldman Sachs. But they also predict bad news, a housing crash in four cities. San Jose, Austin, Phoenix, and San Diego. So with this prediction of good and bad news, let's take a look at who could gain from a housing crash in those four markets and what's at stake for those who could lose out. Rina Cleot is a broker and founder of Pulse International Realty. Who would gain from it? I mean, clearly the buyers, you know, the buyers that have been waiting around. They've had a dual challenge with elevated mortgage rates and also the depletion of housing inventory. There has been, you know, low inventory and high rates. And so that's really escalated prices to a, a place that's really not sustainable. Goldman Sachs says overheated housing markets in the Southwest and Pacific Coast will likely grapple with peak to trough declines of over 25%, presenting localized risk of higher delinquencies for mortgages that originated in 2022 or late 2021. Once, I mean, what's at stake is more, would probably be more on the investor side. The investors that you know already existing that had already purchased, you know, a bit high are now going to see a decline in their, um, in their assets. You know, they're not going to see the appreciation just yet, but it was, it was par for the course. KPMG chief economist Diane Swank believes as much as a 20% drop in housing prices could be coming. Swank connects her prediction to a slowdown in job growth in the tech sector. Thousands of layoffs at Facebook, Google, and Microsoft have hit the industry at similar times. She said hiring freezes in the tech sector are exacerbating declines. Many cheaper markets saw astonishing appreciation due to the higher salaries tech workers brought with them. Sean Marshall, NTD News. But if you're in the market for a new home, don't be too optimistic about price drops. According to a new survey from NerdWallet, many American home shoppers are misinformed about the housing market. The personal finance company says home buyers are overconfident. On average, Americans hope to spend about $269,000 on a home. But the median home price is actually $100,000 more than that. According to the survey, many prospective buyers think prices will drop significantly because of a housing crash. Real estate economists say that likely won't happen this year. Last year, 70% of Americans who had planned to buy a home didn't succeed, either because their offers weren't accepted or because they couldn't find affordable homes. Americans are now paying more than double for a dozen eggs compared to a year ago. A nonprofit wants the government to see if there's a nefarious factor to blame, that is, price gouging. 
According to the organization called Farm Action, Mississippi-based Cowmain Foods saw a 600% increase in profits in the last quarter alone. Cowmain is America's largest egg producer. Farm Action claims industry leaders have colluded to take advantage of inflation and an avian flu outbreak for profit. The organization is urging the FTC to investigate and prosecute any egg producers who breach antitrust laws. On Wall Street, main indexes ended mixed today. The Dow rose 10 points, pretty much unchanged. S&P fell less than one point, also unchanged, and the Nasdaq lost 21 points, or two-tenths of a percent. California Democrats are pushing for a new tax on the state's wealthiest. That's going to include the ability to tax them even after they leave the state or even after they move out of the country. State Assemblymember Alex Lee introduced the bill last week. Here he is at a press conference this week calling for wealth taxes to, quote, bring tax justice. For far too long, we've allowed income inequality to deepen and fester in this state and in this country where the rich get wealthier and the middle class shrinks and falls further behind. The proposed law would tax the, quote, worldwide net worth of former residents who have moved abroad or to another state. It would impose a one and a half percent tax on a net worth above one billion dollars and one percent on any above 50 million dollars. The new tax would generate about 22 billion dollars per year, according to Assemblymember Alex Lee. That's roughly the same amount as California's budget deficit. California already taxes its wealthy residents more than most states, with the top 1% of earners accounting for around half of the state's income tax revenues. In response to the proposal, a local business group says it would drive even more wealthy residents to leave the state. A recent study found that more moving trucks left from California than from any other state in 2022 for the third year in a row, with the top destinations being North and South Carolina, Florida, and Texas. Other blue states have recently floated similar schemes to target the rich, including Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Minnesota, New York, and Washington. While each state has a different approach, they typically include taxing assets, lowering the threshold for estate taxes and raising rates for higher earners. Senator Josh Hawley wants to stop lawmakers and their spouses from trading stocks. He introduced a bill yesterday to do just that. It's called the Pelosi Act. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the proposed legislation. The Pelosi Act stands for Preventing Elected Leaders from Owning Securities and Investments. It would force members and their spouses to dispose of any holdings or put them in a blind trust. They would have to do so within six months of entering office. Here's Hawley on Fox News. Members of Congress shouldn't be padding their own pockets and lining uh, their own wallets. They ought to be focused on doing what the people sent them there to do. Members found in violation would have to return their profits to American taxpayers. I, I just think that that is, that is an invitation to all kinds of problems. Last year, a story broke that Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, traded between one and five million dollars of stocks for semiconductors. The trade came just days before Congress earmarked 52 million dollars for the industry. On Fox News, Representative James Comer said that wasn't the first time Pelosi had done so. He bought stock options ahead of all the big tech hearings. 
Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has in the past defended her husband's transactions, saying he does not use information she's given to him. Paul Pelosi is not the only one. Former Senator Richard Burr sold investments after attending classified meetings on the COVID-19 pandemic. The SEC investigated that matter, but took no action against Burr. Senator John Ossoff, who introduced similar legislation in the past, spoke about the problem on Bloomberg. We saw during the COVID-19 pandemic all of this stock trading by members around the same time as confidential briefings on the threat posed by the virus, trading in medical stocks. Hawley's bill makes allowances for mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, and treasury bond purchases. The efforts to prevent government members from profiting from their public office has bipartisan support. Earlier this year, Hawley introduced a similar bill that would prohibit legislators from trading stocks while in office. While Democratic Senator Mark Kelly also introduced like-minded legislation last year. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Florida Senator Marco Rubio is taking aim at J.P. Morgan. In a letter to the bank's CEO, Jamie Dimon, Rubio denounced a partnership between America's biggest bank and TikTok's Chinese parent company, ByteDance. The bank is developing payments technology for ByteDance. Rubio's top concern involves the security of private U.S. user data. He cited the bank's efforts to help ByteDance with, quote, real-time data exchange track and trace and its ability to see and monitor payments. Under Chinese law, Chinese companies must hand over data to Beijing if authorities request it. But it's not just J.P. Morgan. Congress members are urging sports network ESPN to end a partnership with TikTok as well. While new legislation could pull federal funding to Texas colleges that refuse to ban TikTok on campus, Rubio demanded the CEO answer questions about the ByteDance partnership by mid-February. And as concerns about TikTok's data security grow, our special report today looks at what could happen to the popular social media app in the U.S. Right now, Congress is debating whether or not to ban the app nationwide. One way TikTok could save its U.S. operations is selling itself to an American company. This would potentially sever its ties to its Chinese parent company, ByteDance, and it could ease concerns about the Chinese regime having access to its data. Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher is among those who have proposed a nationwide ban. And Gallagher says that if TikTok sells itself to an American company, this would be a workable solution. But would that really solve the problem? We spoke to tech researcher Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation. The realities of the internet, the realities of these kind of massive social media companies is that backdoors exist, that, you know, a rogue employee within Microsoft or in any of these companies could potentially still grab the exact same data of targeted users and get it back to Beijing. And their inner knowledge of these platforms, right, the way that TikTok works, what they can collect, where it's stored, is going to pose a massive threat. Denton says that potentially two years after a sale, we may find ourselves in the exact same situation. The CCP may still be able to look at our data. We spoke to Bob Bilbrook, founder of a tech consultancy firm and a tech investor, and he agrees. He tells us that selling to a U.S. company would not solve the problem. They're still going to be attached to the Chinese government, and they're a Chinese-based company. So although that may appear... (laughs) As far as market or Wall Street would be concerned as a a safe play, I don't think anybody would believe that for a second. As long as they are headquartered in China 
and their lifeblood is connected to the Chinese government like that, I think we're going to see, you know, at least people like me in the tech industry that don't trust that. Now, if TikTok is willing to sell itself, analysts believe a handful of contenders may be interested. Meta, Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, even Elon Musk could all be in the running. So who exactly owns TikTok right now? American tech firm Oracle and Walmart both collectively own 20%. Chinese company ByteDance says it owns the other 80%. And ByteDance also runs the firm. If an outright sale isn't made and no middle ground is reached, then a nationwide ban could very well take effect. Attorney Michael Mandel says TikTok would have likely little recourse if it's banned on the grounds of national security. I guess it would really depend on um, what the law, if it gets passed, says, and then TikTok would have to figure out how they can challenge that law in court. Uh, Right now, we're not at a point of knowing what the law is um, to see if it's uh, something they can challenge. Uh, You know, there are going to be concerns about uh, First Amendment freedom of speech rights here. Uh, But, you know, there's going to be the counter argument that there's other platforms to express yourself. So uh, it is something that we'll just kind of have to wait to see. Meanwhile, Senator Josh Hawley was the most recent Republican to propose banning TikTok nationwide. He says TikTok is China's backdoor into Americans' lives. He says it threatens our children's privacy as well as their mental health. He plans on introducing new legislation to ban it, though he hasn't said when. And TikTok responded by calling Hawley's plan a piecemeal approach to national security. It says he should take a more holistic approach and accused him of pretending banning TikTok would make Americans safer. And taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, gold prices hover near a nine-month high as central banks purchased the largest amount of gold in recent history. We have an in-depth interview after this short break. Welcome back. Gold prices rose to a nine-month high yesterday. This is amid fears of a global recession and also hopes of slower rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. Meanwhile, central banks set a new record of gold purchases in 2022, according to the World Gold Council. The world's central banks bought about 400 metric tons of gold in the third quarter last year. Purchases of gold have reached a level not seen since 1967. But why are central banks buying so much gold? A Mises Institute article explains that it's to protect their balance sheets. We talked to the author of the article for an in-depth explanation. And now joining me now is Daniel Lacaye to talk about why central banks are buying gold. So, you know, Daniel, I was just reading your article on the Mises Institute site. Uh, So you talked about one reason why this is happening is because of a possible digital currency, maybe just on this point, expand a little bit. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, the central banks globally are now loss-making because 
they have been buying bonds and uh, even ETFs or mortgage-backed securities that are losing money right now. No? So uh, many of them are loss-making, and they need to purchase gold to prop up the balance sheet to improve their reserve base, but also because the threat of a digital currency means that a lot of uh, investment banks that used to treasure U.S. dollars or euros are scared because with the introduction of a digital currency, the risk of uh, even decreasing the purchasing power of the currency even further than what it has happened in recent times is very high. No? So those central banks, particularly Asian, are looking at the risk of holding too many dollars and too many euros that could lose their purchasing power much more rapidly with the advent of a central bank digital currency. As such, they look to add more gold, which ultimately gives them a higher cushion and a better reserve of value. And as well, you, you earlier you mentioned loss-making. In your article, you said uh, mon monetary devastation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, think about this. Central banks have been purchasing extremely expensive bonds, sovereign bonds at negative yields, at negative real yields. They have been purchasing mortgage-backed securities at very elevated prices. And also, uh, in the case of Japan, for example, equity-traded funds. And in 2022, when the markets fell, all of those assets have lost massive amounts of value and they're loss-making right now. So the balance sheet of the central bank is actually in need of a bailout. It needs to be recapitalized. And this is extremely dangerous in a moment in which if they purchase more bonds and mortgage-backed securities, they would increase the problem that they have already incurred into. And if they continue being loss-making, confidence in the purchasing power and the currency and the central bank itself may uh, fall rapidly. So it's a, it's a very challenging situation for many, uh, for most of the developed countries' central banks. Essentially, what it all comes down to is the stability in the value of gold. Would you say that is, that's correct? Yeah, absolutely. If you think about it, the gold is the only decorrelated asset and one that has proven to be a reserve of value for centuries. So uh, for, the, for many decades, central banks have reduced the percentage of gold in their asset base and increased the percentage of equities, bonds in the so-called quantitative easing period. But with the collapse of markets, especially bonds and equities at the same time in 2022, what has happened is that the fragility of those assets and the fragility of the asset base of central banks has come to the fore. This is very evident right now. And as I said before, they're loss-making. So gold ultimately is proving to be the stability factor that many central banks require. And just one last thing, you know, in light of central banks, you know, buying gold, where, where do you see gold prices going? Well, obviously, the first element that is positive for gold is the supply and demand scenario. Supply is extremely tight and demand is rising globally. Now, the second one is obviously its, uh, its value as a reserve. Globally, everybody understands, and it's, uh, we saw it in 2022, that the price of gold is very stable, even in periods of very aggressive moves in markets. 
The third one is obviously the fact that central banks are starting to buy more gold in order to keep their balance sheets uh, relatively safe and relatively stable. So those three elements, higher uh, the tightness of supply demand plus the component of reserve of value in a period of recession or stagflation, which is the, the risk right now, added to the need from some central banks to diversify out of the euro in particular, but also the US dollar, uh, is propping up gold demand. So I think that the likelihood of its price continuing to rise is quite significant also because it's an asset that is very underweight in the investor portfolios. Investors tend to be extremely overweight equities or bonds or both and uh, have very little exposure to precious metals. So I think that that is another, another reason is that the financial world needs to catch up to at least be equal weighted. Mm. All right. Thank you for your insight today, Daniel Lacaille, Tresses Hedge Fund. Great having you on. Thank you so much. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. I'll see you tomorrow.